0: Amen. Good morning. If you would, take your copy of Scripture and open to Luke chapter 13. We will be on page 1201 of the Pew Bible. In front of you, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can follow along. Page 1201, Luke 13. We are preaching through the book of Luke and have just concluded our study of This great discourse that went from uh, all the way through chapter 12 and into the first nine verses of chapter 13 where Jesus sort of set uh, many of our understanding of who He is and how He operates sort of on end as He has a tendency to do to turn things around and open our eyes to the reality of how His kingdom works. And my prayer for you and me today as we study this passage of Scripture in the time that we have is that we would understand that I think that uh, pretty much universally in this room, the desires of our heart would, would be to be used by God, to glorify God, to build His kingdom, to be a part of what God is doing on this earth and amongst our fellow men. But one of the great hindrances to being used by God is not understanding the way the kingdom of God operates. And therein comes the Scripture, that just a shallow reading of the New Testament... Will quickly turn around all of sort of the natural presuppositions about the way God works and about how the kingdom works, and so if you are not reading through the Bible and not being astonished at the things that it says, then you are not uh, uh, comprehending or understanding or paying attention to that which you're reading, because it is uh, it is a it, it's counterintuitive. And again today, Jesus will again sort of set our minds about how His kingdom works. And so it is very important that we understand the way the kingdom of God works if we desire to be used by Him to build it. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And now, Lord, as we turn our hearts to this perfect, magnificent gift, Lord God, I pray that You would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, we we need Your help. We need the Holy Spirit's uh, enablement to understand and to see. And Father, I pray that right now every person who can hear my voice would recognize what is possible today. That Father, there is no calamity, there is no pain, there is no bitterness, there is no misunderstanding, there is no sickness, there is no sorrow, there is no loss, there is no trial. Present on this earth that Your power is not greater than. And so, Father, help us to understand who we are listening to as we study Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Luke 13, uh, just to, for the sake of a little refresher so that we understand where we are uh, coming from, Jesus has just announced uh, that He's come to bring division and not peace, which uh, comes as a surprise to many of us, that He's come to to bring separation even among families. And what He means by that is that He's going to separate uh, His children from the children of the enemy, that He's going to separate the saved from the unsaved, the sheep from the goats. However, it is you'd like to understand it, He brings division. And oftentimes, many of us, our testimony is that we came to Christ and then people around us turned their back on us and there was division in our lives because of the gospel. And then last week, we looked at the fact that the world is a dangerous place. It's a sin-cursed world where bad things happen to people. And we have this tendency to sort of try to... We want to be able to put everything in a nice category. We want to be able to say that, well, if, you are, if this happens to you, it must be because you're doing something wrong. And so that gives us the opportunity to do things right so those things won't happen to us because we tend to have a, a, a fear of being out of control or not being able to predict that which is going to come. That's why we're all so fanatical oftentimes about our insurance and about are we are we covered in case something happens because we, we want to make sure that we hedge our bet against the tragedy and calamity that we see around us. And what we saw last week is that Jesus said that you can't just come up with your own formula as to why people suffer. You need to understand that people suffer because you live in a fallen world. What's important is that you're alive today and what matters is that you repent, that you Repent. And that you come to Him and you receive forgiveness for your sin. That's what matters. Because this life is just a dot on the radar screen. It's just one blip of all of eternity. And so it's today that matters. Today is what sets the course for all of eternity. And trust me, in that day when we stand before Him in glory, the things of this life, the things that you're experiencing right now will not be on your mind. You will have no remembrance of all the trite things that today are giant mountains in our lives. And believe me, they are. I understand. But they will not matter in that day. They will not matter. Therefore, repent. And so Jesus comes today again to give us instruction about His kingdom. Let's look at this encounter, this divine interaction, this intersection between these three main lives in this story that come together beginning in verse 10. We'll just read a verse and talk through it as we go. Luke 13, verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Now let's just talk for a moment about what's going on, okay? Jesus is teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath as He often does. This is the last time in the Gospel of Luke that we'll see Jesus in the synagogue. One of Jesus' favorite things to do is to blow up the uh, religious understanding of what the Sabbath is. So if you have any questions or maybe misunderstandings or maybe you have some curiosity about how the Sabbath and that uh, whole issue of the Sabbath plays into today, I taught extensively on that on a Wednesday night several weeks ago. And so I will post all of the notes from that uh, teaching on the website so you can go and you can learn all about the Sabbath and how it applies to us today. But Jesus, every opportunity He got... He did that which was supposedly not allowed on the Sabbath. He was always in conflict about the Sabbath. And so he comes across this woman who has a spirit of infirmity. She's bent over. We don't know the severity or how bent over she is. We don't know the details about uh, what specific is wrong with her. But we know that she is someone who is in great distress, great physical uh, uh, maybe pain, certainly discomfort. And we also know that she's an outcast. We also know that the 18 years have been very difficult because it would be difficult for you today if you were in this situation. And certainly there has been uh, uh, opportunities for... We've we've met people who were uh, bent over, who had some spinal condition, who uh, just simply couldn't stand straight up. And it's a very difficult, difficult thing. But here in this culture, in this context, you would be completely outcast for this. Why? Because the assumption by all of those in authority would be that the reason you are this way is due to your sin. And so again, Jesus is going to use this woman to illustrate the way the kingdom operates. And so he comes to correct again... This misunderstanding that somehow this is punishment. Remember, uh, back earlier in verse 2, Jesus said about those Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate as they were giving their sacrifice in the temple. He said, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered these things? And then He said in verse 4, what about these 18, the 18 people that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed? He said, do you suppose that these 18 people that were killed in the tower... Uh, do you think that they were worse sinners than all others, uh, the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? So Jesus has already established that we cannot just affix our uh, understanding of why a person is suffering. And so here we see this woman who is a physical representation of exactly what the religious leaders have done to the people. In other words, they have taken something... This In this case, the Sabbath, which was given as a gift. It was given as a, a time to rest, a time to recover, a time to focus on the Lord. And they had shackled the people in all of their man-centered rules and created all of these things that were not intended by God, that people had to abide by and had to deal with. And they had literally become hunched over with all of the struggles and all of the laborious duties that the Sabbath brought. The Sabbath in this day was anything but restful. You spent more time and more energy trying to follow all their rules and regulations than you probably had to take the next day off just to recover. As I studied for that uh, uh, teaching on the Sabbath, it was just astonishing to me as I read through the Jewish literature and all of the just insane regulations that they have brought up and and decided that they were going to hold men to. And the whole time, I thought, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We are so quick to try to make everything performance-based. And the way we make Christianity performance-based is we have to come up with our own man-centered agenda And right now, this morning, there are literally thousands upon thousands of churches that are meeting right now in this country and around the world who are preaching a works gospel, who are trying to teach people that they have to follow all the rules and regulations to achieve the grace of God, and that the vast majority of all of the nonsense that they are having people do and participate in is nowhere to be found in the Holy Scripture. And how sad that is. And Jesus is in the exact same situation. So here's this woman who for 18 years has been struggling. She's been outcast. She has been unable to look people in the face. Um, even if she were having a good day. Even if she were uh, glad to see someone, it would be very hard for them to know that because she couldn't look into their eyes. She couldn't, she couldn't see them. And we don't know her family Uh, We don't know if she had a husband or if she had children, but we do know that it was difficult for whoever loved her and whoever she loved. And here she is, 18 years of suffering, but where do we find her? In the synagogue. Isn't it amazing that the faithfulness of the people of God, and I want you to notice how help, divine help, it meets people on the path. To obedience, does it not? That help comes in so many different ways. And as we'll see today, it comes in so many different ways. But so oftentimes it does come on the path of obedience. And so, just based on this initial observation, whenever you find yourself in a place where you do not know what to do, do that which you do know. Just be obedient to the simple things that you know. I have never counseled or talked or helped anyone who didn't know already before they ever sought out my advice what it is they needed to do. They just simply needed encouragement to take that step. We serve such a good God. He's not a secret-keeping God. He's not trying to play some game with you. This morning, if you find yourself in a very very difficult place in life and maybe you're suffering this morning and you identify with some of the pain and suffering of this woman, let me encourage you that my advice to you, my heartfelt prayer for you is that you would simply obey that which you know. Just walk in obedience and the Lord will bless that. Verse 12. So when Jesus saw her, He called her to Himself and He said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your iniquity. And He laid His hands on her and immediately she was made straight and began to glorify God. Now I want you to notice that Jesus called her over. In other words, it's very important that you see that she wasn't thrusting herself in front of Jesus. That this is very different from the woman who had an issue of blood in Luke chapter 8, who was pushing her way through the crowd and who, who just bulldozed her way in there and would not be stopped and reached in and touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who is it who touched me? Remember her? This was not that woman. This woman was standing off in the background somewhere. She was somewhere within the crowd. And as Jesus was teaching, his eyes caught her face. And he saw her there. And he called her out of the crowd unto himself. And he put his hand upon her. And he healed her. You see, Jesus took the initiative with this woman. She didn't ask him for anything. She didn't promise him anything. She had no idea. What was going to happen this day? We know that the way the the Jewish uh, rulers of the synagogue operated the synagogue, that oftentimes they were the ones who decided who was going to speak on various days and on various Sabbath uh, days. And so the ruler of the synagogue undoubtedly made the uh, decision that he was going to allow Jesus to speak. And certainly it was... One that he was going to live to regret here in just a moment. But he made that decision. But there's no reason to believe that this woman had uh, come here specifically thinking that this day would be the day that she got healed. She was simply just what doing what she always does on the Sabbath day. She was just coming to the temple to worship God. And God sought her out. You know, we... The, the, the first thing that, that sort of goes upside down about this story is this. We will say things like true things. We will say things like, you well, you have not because you ask not. Now, that's true, is it not? But here's what we don't say. That that doesn't mean that everything you have, you asked for. You see, when we say things... We say them as if they're sort of definitive, as if they sort of apply across the board. And so it is true that oftentimes we have not because we ask not. But it is also true that we serve a God who does good things for us all of the time that we didn't know anything about, that we didn't ask for because we didn't have the foresight, knowledge, understanding, or the truth be known, the spiritual heart to even want it. But God gives it. And what I would say is that the vast majority of blessings in our lives need to just be chalked up to the fact that we serve a really, really good God. Because if you only got what you asked for, let's just agree that you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me this morning (laughs) because this wasn't at all what I asked for. So the vast majority of God's work is done by His initiation. He is the initiator of the good things in our lives. And so her healing, notice it was, it was instant and complete. That there was no need for physical therapy. There was no process of healing that ensued. She didn't have any recovery time. There was none of that. She was immediately made straight, the Bible says. Immediately. One touch of the Savior's hand and she is Healed and responds by glorifying God. Now look at verse 14. Then the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And He said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Nice fellow. So here is a man... Of the cloth, I guess you could say. A man who has given his life to uh, the ministry of God, supposedly. And he has uh, committed himself to being a ruler of the synagogue, sought out by all of his peers as as a very uh, godly, holy person who who understands and knows the law and abides by the Scripture. And yet, his response to this miracle is indignation. He's offended. He is offended that Jesus would heal this woman on the Sabbath. Now, I know, or at least I hope I know what you're thinking. I hope that right now you're thinking, how in the world could a religious man see this woman who has been struggling for eight, years. How could he see her set free and only respond with indignation, with anger and resentment towards what he has just witnessed? You know, that's hard for me to put into words. It would really be impossible, I wish, for me to put into words if I haven't seen it with my own eyes. I thought this week as I meditated on this scripture, I I thought about all the times that I've seen this very thing happen in my life. And you see, one of the bad things about spending your whole entire Christian life at one church is that it makes it very hard to tell stories about things because you know that all of my stories are about you because you're the only people I know. But the good news is, is that I've been around here a lot longer than most of you. And so I have to go way back in my memory bank to think up things so that... I don't want to hurt anybody or offend anybody, but I will tell you this. Early on in my ministry to teenagers, I mean early on, one of my one of the things I really felt like God had called me to do was to, to, to get out there amongst the, where the people are, where the hurting students were, so that I could share the good news and the gospel with them. I was so passionate about reaching the unchurched and, and bringing the gospel where it wasn't. And so one of the very first young men that God gave me the opportunity to minister to, he I met him on a school campus. I began to minister to him and share the gospel with him. And he was very, very hesitant at first. And he came from a, a very uh, dysfunctional, terrible, unloving, a painful, abusive home. And uh, he had just suffered uh, greatly at the hands of of many people not just the people in his home he was ridiculed by his peers he was uh, v- uh, always in trouble in school at, uh, was behind a couple of grades it was really a tough situation but god allowed me the opportunity to be able to minister to him and so For a period of months, I began to just meet with him, share the gospel with him, talk with him, encourage him. I would tell him stories about my childhood. He would talk to me about what he was facing. And it took a long time for him to finally trust me. And over that time, I worked really hard to get him to see. I said, you know, he would always say this to me. He would say, you know, I never knew there were Christians like you. And I would always say, well, there are. There are. And I'm so sorry that... You've been, you know, that you have such a negative uh, idea of of the way people are who love Jesus. And Jesus loves you. And sometimes His people or people who claim to be His people say things and do things they ought not do. But Jesus didn't do that. So finally, uh, this young man received Christ. And I was so excited. And boy, that Wednesday night... When I introduced him as a brand new believer in Christ, I just remember, you know, the the astonished look on many of the students' faces who went to school with him. And so the following Sunday would be his very first Sunday in school. I mean, in church. And so that next Sunday, he came to church that morning. And that night, he came to church. And I was standing over in the East Sanctuary by the water fountain. And he was coming out of where we have children's church and there was a a man who was at the time a a very well-known person in our congregation and he was walking by and as the young man came out, he stopped and he looked at the young man. He said, son, where'd you grow up? And the boy looked at him and said, uh, and he said, didn't anybody ever tell you not to wear a hat in God's house? Take that hat off. And he took his hat off. And in that moment, I never wanted to commit murder so bad in my life. Can I ask you a question? Does that make you mad? Let me ask you another question. Is that in the Bible? Where do we come up with this stuff? Here's a kid who just gave his life to Christ. It's his first day in church. And someone's going to respond to him with, Take your hat off. Not, Welcome to the family. Not, God bless you for being here. Not, Obviously, you're new around here. Just by the way you look, you obviously don't, which is another tragedy, but you obviously could look at the kid and tell... Take your hat off. That's what he got. And let me tell you something. It happens all the time. People come up with all their rules and regulations. They come up with all the things that, that they did when they grew up. And somehow they become scripture. That's exactly what Jesus is confronting here. Listen, this is just a bunch of man-centered nonsense. Nonsense. And it had been going on for generation after generation after generation. And maybe it was fine one day. Maybe in the beginning it didn't seem too bad. But it just kept building and building and building until what? Until the fact that someone just got freed from 18 years of imprisonment doesn't matter because he broke the rules in doing it. Thank God this is not a place. Where people come to faith in Christ and we don't celebrate it. See, today we celebrate that. Today we rejoice in that. So many of you, you say, I love, I love baptism Sundays. I love it because we celebrate it and we want everyone to know who comes to Christ and follows the Lord and believers baptism that we love you and we're your family and we're here to walk with you and encourage you and support you. And I love the fact that every time someone receives Christ, the line goes down the aisle and out the door, no matter how late I preach to, to welcome them into the family and to hug them and to say, thank God for what God has done in your life, but all over this country and all over the world. There are churches that are dead as a hammer And the baptistry is filled with Christmas decorations. And no one's getting saved. And no one is receiving Christ. And no one's getting baptized. And all they want is the temperature right. They want the preacher to preach the right thing in the right time. They want the right cookies in Sunday school. They want the right seat in the sanctuary. It's all about them. And God doesn't work in those situations. Church is not a place you come to receive. This isn't a consumer environment. This is a place you come to give. This is a place you come to worship and serve God. And I pray that he continues to remind us every day that what we do here is not about us. Because let me tell you, every one of those dead churches is dead. Because they began to see Sundays as their time. To be the way they want it. For everything to go according to their plan. And so when you feel that thing inside of you beginning to well up. And say, well, you know, I just didn't like the way we... Be careful. Are people being saved? Are lives being transformed? Are we celebrating what matters? Because when we get to glory... There's not going to be any conversations as you stand before the Lord about the temperature or the length or the this or the that or your class or whatever happened or where you sit. None of that's going to be on the agenda. The agenda is going to be, what have you done for the kingdom? What fruit have you bore that lasts for eternity? That's what it's going to be about. Jesus isn't worried about all the nonsense that seeks to consume our time, energy, energy and affections. Did Jesus break this rule, by the way? Wouldn't it be interesting that there would be an Old Testament rule that said, Thou shall not heal on the Sabbath? You know, you don't even have to know anything about the Bible to know that that's kind of strange. Why would there be a rule that you can't heal on the Sabbath when none of them had the ability to heal? They might as well have said, Thou shall not fly on the Sabbath. It's ridiculous, totally ridiculous. And at the end of the day, man-centered legalism is ridiculous. It's insane. And it only works in an environment where the Bible is not taught and the Bible is not read and the Bible is not studied. Because if you take any amount of time and just read the Word of God, it will set you free from that. Verse 15. So the Lord answered him and said, You are a hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? Think of it, Jesus says. For 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus exposes the unbelievable hypocrisy of the religious leader... In that he says, you care for your animals on the Sabbath. You would never let your ox or your donkey die of thirst on the Sabbath. You would loose them and walk them to water and let them drink on the Sabbath. But you will not, you will not care for a woman who's been suffering for 18 years. Sir, you have got your priorities Completely upside down. Now I want you to to notice some things here. First of all, Jesus says very explicitly, he says, "This woman, whom Satan has bound." And I want to to just touch on this for a moment because it does not say, again, because people don't change, just cultures, times, and technology does. But we're always the same, and so it does not say that everyone who has a medical problem is bound by Satan. Which again, we have whole groups and denominations of people that are built on this, that read this text and say, do you see? If you're sick, it's from Satan. Really? Well, that's interesting because Jesus says, this woman. He didn't say every woman or every man. He said this one. And what's further interesting is that 26 times in the New Testament, Jesus heals. 35 miracles, 26 healings, only 7 of the healings, had demonic presence. So 19 of 26 had no demonic mention whatsoever. So clearly, clearly all sickness is not demon possession. Let's be... Let's just use some simple wisdom, folks. Now, Deuteronomy 5 is where this Sabbath rule comes from as it is the repeat of Exodus 20 and the of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, where the Bible says six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then verse 14, this is where they got into trouble. All they got was six days, do your labor and do all your work. But verse 14 says, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath day of your Lord, your God, in it you shall do no work. You, your son your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey. Interesting that the Bible actually says that your donkey and your ox are not supposed to do any work or any of your cattle or even the stranger who is among you within the gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well with you. So you see that the Bible took into account the fact that there was animals involved in this and man spun this around and and lifted animals up to a higher priority than their fellow man. Now, you know I could go 30 minutes on that one point, but I'm not going to, okay? But if you're buying a $100 a bag gourmet food for your pet, shame on you! I'm done. (laughs) Children are starving in Africa. Give me a break. All right, Luke, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, we got to go. Listen to what these same men said. You remember this, verse nine. These same people, when Jesus called them to repent, they refused to repent based on the fact that they are—they're the, the sons of Abraham. We don't repent. That's listen. Here's what it says, Luke chapter three verse seven. Then. He said to the multitudes that came to to be baptized by him, this is John the Baptist, he called him a brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. See, John the Baptist knew that their, their hesitation to repentance or to follow God or to be involved in what Jesus came on earth to do is, oh no, we can't do that. We're the sons of Abraham. And then... The very same people turned around and ignored the daughter of Abraham. Jesus points out, this is Abraham's daughter. You see, all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in this woman. The very one that you've ignored. And if you're here this morning, maybe Christianity is sort of out there on the radar for you and you're trying to figure all this out. Please take note of this. That if you have somehow come in here with the understanding or presupposition that somehow Jesus is a woman hater and that somehow Jesus wants to wants to pile on women and wants to make men dominant over women, hello, nothing could be further from the truth. No one was as radical about lifting women up and and loving women for the glorious treasure that they are as Jesus Christ. He calls this man on the carpet. He tells him, hey, you are the very one who claimed to be the sons of Abraham and have ignored his daughter. Jesus could have healed anyone he wanted to, but he chose this meek and mild woman. As she stood in the back, marginalized by everyone, overlooked. No one cared what she had to say. No one was worried about what she needed to do. People probably just did what they do today. They just didn't look because it made them feel uncomfortable. And so they could just go on about their way and pretend as if it never happened. But verse 17 says that when he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. You see, it was checkmate. Jesus said, you know what? You're stupid and I just proved it. That's in the Greek. The Bible says that all the multitude around rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by Him. You see, the people recognized. In that instant, the people recognized. You know what? He's right. This is ridiculous. We have have bought into a system of religious works that is utter Nonsense! This can't be right. How is it that we would ignore this woman and pay attention to our animals? How is it that our leader would be indignant about violating a man-centered law when a human being had just been set free? Verse 18, so then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? In other words, Jesus now wants to give us a picture of the kingdom. And to what shall I compare it? Verse 19, is it like a mustard seed? Which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I like in the kingdom of God? Is it like leaven? Which a woman took and hid in there in three measures of meal till it was leavened. So now Jesus uses these sort of obscure parables to illustrate what the kingdom of God is really like. First, He gives us this external picture. He uses this mustard seed. And this mustard seed, the smallest of all garden plants, would go in the ground, a tiny little seed, and would grow into this giant... Basically, it's a big bush, not a giant tree. It's a huge bush that would get maybe 8 or 12 feet tall, 15, 20 feet around even. And these... Bushes were known by all the people who would hear this. They all knew that this was something that they planted. They all knew that it was a tiny seed. And so they understood that Jesus was explaining to them something. But what was He saying? He was saying that the kingdom of God is not the way you think it is. The kingdom of God does not come rushing upon you like a tidal wave. The kingdom of God comes in like the tide. It's slow. And when it begins, it seems sort of weak and feeble. It seems sort of, you know, just easily overlooked of not much real, you know, power. And you know, today as we as we watch these baptism testimonies and we get to see the, the lives that, that God has saved among us and we get to see how God uses so many different ways to bring people unto Himself. But here's what we all have in common. Is that in the beginning, and even some today, there are times where we stand in opposition to the world, and we, we think, wow, our faith it seems so small sometimes, doesn't it? In other words, how is it that on the very same morning, That we would have a man stand up and say that it was the near loss of his little boy that caused him to recognize and realize the goodness and the reality of Jesus Christ. And then in the same morning, another man stand up and say, I just lost my five-month-old daughter. And God's grace brought me unto Himself just before that happened so that I would be able to persevere through that. Did you think about that? Let me ask you a question. Do you think when I was standing in that special room that you don't want to go in, that's off to the side of the emergency room that always means... Something bad's happened with the Daniels family? Do you think that when I was in there with Tim and Renee, do you think in that moment that their faith, when they didn't know what the outcome was going to be, do you think that their faith seemed like Mount Everest or like a little seed? Because what was happening around them was just overwhelming the seed. And it just seemed like there was... What, what was going on? Like I've just been sucked into some, some tidal wave, some vortex, and I can't get out, and I don't know what's going on. And let me tell you what it didn't seem like. It didn't seem like a giant oak tree buried in the ground for hundreds of years that could stand st- tall in the face of this storm, because in that moment you feel kind of weak. What about Brian? How do you think Brian felt? 48 hours into his walk with Christ... Pastor Rod and Pastor Brian show up at his house. He has no idea what they're about to tell him. You think in that moment he was feeling like a spiritual giant or a little seed? You know that feeling, don't you? You know that seed feeling. We all do. Jesus said, yeah, it starts like a seed. Yeah, there's times it looks like a seed. But let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to grow like a tree. And it's going to grow strong. And over time, it's going to grow into something you never expected it to be. And it's going to become this pillar of strength. And then other things are going to be able to find refuge within it. Because it is there. It is secure. And what started is just a little bitty seed one day at an altar or one moment in your closet or wherever it was will one day be a mighty tree where we'll find shelter. And then Jesus said there's, there's leaven that's like the kingdom of God. You see, leaven, sometimes leaven is used to, to, to mean a bad thing. Sometimes it's used to mean a good thing. But leaven is is an illustration of, of the character. In other words, The leaven goes into the dough. Leaven is one piece of fermented dough that you mix into the other dough and it causes that dough to rise. But once it mixes in, you can't discern where the leaven is within the dough. And this is a very large piece of dough. And so when that dough gets mixed in and suddenly it just begins to permeate through that giant lump and it begins to get into every crevice and pretty soon you can't tell where it once was or where it's going or where it hasn't been and there's no way to undo it. And the kingdom of God is just like that. That it gets into your heart and it begins to permeate all the things about you. And over time, as it spreads through you, it changes your character. It changes your nature. You don't do the things you used to do. You don't say the things you used to say. You don't go the places you used to go. Because you're new. You've been transformed. You've been infiltrated by the kingdom of God. It now lives within you. And so like this bread, it is now part of it. And it spreads and it grows internally. And the kingdom, the kingdom will transform just like that leaven will transform that lump of dough that could only have hoped to be a saltine cracker. But now will become this glorious loaf of bread that will feed the multitudes. The kingdom of God is the same way Once it comes in, it's in forever. And as you walk through the journey of this life, it's permeating through all that you are. And little by little, God's sanctifying you and molding you and shaping you into the person that He created you to be. And so this wonderful picture of the kingdom ought to be something that we take great joy in this morning. Because it's not at all what the people thought it would be. Psalm 2 illustrates this because the Bible says, well, why do the nations rage and why do the, the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth, well, they set themselves up. The rulers, they take counsel together against God and against His anointed saying things like, let us break their bonds to pieces and cast away their cords from us. But here's what the Lord says about the kingdom. That's what you think the kingdom's gonna be. Oh, they have their day today. Oh, today it sounds like when you turn on the television that the kingdom's not doing so good. Sounds like a little seedling in the ground. It it seems like a little lump that's trying to fight its way into this gigantic lump. But oh no, the Bible says, But in this day, he who sits in the heavens, he will laugh. At them. The Lord will hold them in their derision and He shall speak to them in His wrath and the distress of them will be His deep displeasure, the Bible says. Yet I have set my King, God says. His name is Jesus and He will reign from Zion. And though the world may mock and though the world may laugh, He will rule and He will reign. And what once looked so small, what once looked so weak, will be seen for all the glorious power and might that it is. The kingdom of God cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped. And it lives within you and me. And so if we're going to be kingdom believers, if we're going to be kingdom minded people, if we're going to make a kingdom difference, we need to understand how the kingdom works. And you need to understand this morning that the kingdom understands. Jesus understands that you feel inadequate And that you are afraid when you get an opportunity to share your faith. And it's hard to invite people to come to church and to share the gospel with them. And to start a Bible study with unbelievers. And it's difficult. And you feel like it's not going to work. And they're going to mock you. And they're not going to listen. Jesus understands that. But He says, listen, if you understand the kingdom, it's always going to feel like that. Until the day comes when my king rules from His throne. But until then you understand that you witness and you encourage and you give and you share from a heart that understands ultimate victory is coming. And so whether or not they listen, victory is coming. So Ari, I don't know. If your family's going to listen to you, man. No one in my family's listened to me yet. But every time I tell them the gospel and every time I share Jesus with them, I know that what feels like a little seed today is going to one day be a mighty kingdom. And I don't want them to miss out. And so I'm not discouraged when I'm mocked or when I'm shut down or when I'm marginalized or when I'm overlooked. I just keep pressing on for the kingdom. So today, together, as we celebrate the goodness of God in this place, let's understand the way the kingdom works. Yes, Satan is real. Yes, he has real power. The Bible says he bound up this woman. But although Satan is real, and although he has real power, his power is limited. Because the Bible also says that when Jesus, that king, put his hand on that woman, she was healed. So whose power is greater? He who is in you, or he who is in the world? So what will we do? how will we respond in light of the glorious truth of the kingdom that the Lord has shared with us today? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today you have the opportunity to be born into the kingdom, to be adopted into the family as His son or daughter, His beloved child that He promises to love and care for and never leave and never forsake. And as you join with us and walk through the trials and tribulations of this life, At the end of the day, no matter how hard the day is, you can be of good cheer. For our King has overcome the world. Would you stand, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word and we thank You for speaking to us, Lord God, and allowing us the opportunity to to be here today and to celebrate You and Your goodness and Your glory and your love and patience, Father God, I pray right now that, Lord, for all the work right now that You are attempting to accomplish for Your kingdom, Lord God, that it would bear fruit in this instant. Lord, that we'd all be obedient to what You're calling us to do as we come down to kneel and pray, as we come forth to receive You as our Savior, as we come to plan our families here and become a part of what You're doing here in this local fellowship. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, God, give us the courage to respond for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name.